0: Hello friends, thank you for tuning in to Operation Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. We are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible, with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. Please support this mission by subscribing to and rating the show on your favorite podcast channel, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google spotify anchor or anywhere else by doing so you'll help others find the help which just might save their life also please help by sharing a link to the show on all of your social media channels every time a new episode drops and always remember to recover out loud hello everyone and thank you for joining me for another edition of operation Tango romeo the tremor recovery podcast Today on the line, I have Harvey Bodwin, and Harvey is going to be sharing with us uh, his story of fighting with VAC, Veterans Affairs Canada, for years, how he was injured and how he's been struggling to get compensation. Unfortunately, the bureaucracy of Veterans Affairs Canada is just about impenetrable for very, very many of us. And it's important to share these stories so that we can understand firsthand with these stories exactly what it is that people go through. Um, Harvey, thanks for joining me, man.
1: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me.
0: So we've been talking off air for uh, for quite some time, which I am grateful for. I'm blessed to be able to uh, get to know you a little bit. You're a very intelligent fellow, very well-spoken, and I'm glad that you're here today to talk about your story. So let's start with how were you injured? All right.
1: Yeah. So um, 2000, uh, 2008, uh, 2007, 2008, I was uh, doing pre-deployment training for Afghanistan. Um, walked into the base medical office and uh, out of the, uh, the the pre-deployment training, we're required to you know provide your proof of vaccination and all that stuff. So I did not have my booklet with me. Um, but I advised them, I said, Yeah, I got all my vaccines my entire life, I know I'm good to go, and blah blah blah. And they said, Well, you don't have your book, we'll, we'll give you them all again. And I was like, uh, Is that okay to come kind of get them all again? And they're like, Yeah, no problem, you'll be okay. Um, and then they administered six vaccines right there on the spot on me. Um, and then uh we ended up coming back the next day. I know I got a booster for something, but I can't prove that part. Um, and then, uh and then from that point forward, it was a couple of weeks had gone by. Um, I started feeling sick, slowing down, um, not quite the uh, level of fitness that I was at. Um, and I thought it was just an infection or something like that. Went on with my day. And then uh, once I got moved up to Petawawa for the workup training, they uh, they administered me another vaccine. Um, and then right after that, so when I started feeling really uh, ill, I, uh, I started getting mass headaches um, my eyes were jaundiced, everything everything was uh, starting to go downhill, um, and up to the point where I eventually had passed out, um, and then uh, when I went to the hospital, they tested me, they're like, yeah, your, uh, your blood doesn't look too good right now, um, and uh, I was hospitalized, uh, I ended up being in the hospital for a week, I got uh, a couple transfusions put in me um almost had my spleen taken out but the uh, medicine that they put me on finally kicked in um, and then i was diagnosed with uh, autoimmune hemolytic anemia
0: so what does that mean what does uh, does that mean that your immune system is just not working
1: yeah so essentially um my uh my my blood cells were my my body was essentially attacking itself so it had thought everything that was in me was it was a pathogen and was a was a virus or whatever the case may be but it thought everything was bad so it started attacking itself so that's what the autoimmune part is um and what it was doing was attacking my red blood cells prematurely so that i wasn't able to get the proper amount of oxygen so i was essentially suffocating myself um and then uh yeah so then once i was hospitalized i got two blood transfusions um, they gave me prednisone, and that kind of suppressed my immune system. So then I was able to start getting my hemoglobin up again, um, and then uh, I kind of just—I got pulled off tour right away.
0: So um, at this point, were the doctors acknowledging that you were suffering through all of this because of you got double vaxed?
1: No, they—they uh, they didn't really know what caused it. Um, at the start, um, in uh, my early days, we were trying to go back and forth, and. I never had suspicion of vaccines or anything like that. So I was like, Oh, it can't be that. Like but uh, the government said it's safe. It's gotta be okay. Right. Um, <laughs> which, uh, quickly we're learning is not the truth, but, uh, the, uh, I went back and forth. I thought I was, uh, I ended up going on antibiotics, uh, several months prior to that. And then, uh, you know, without doing much research uh, at the time, I was, uh, I assumed that it was that. So I put my, uh, application in for veterans affairs, Uh, For the autoimmune disease, they of course denied it, um, and then kind of just said, "Too bad, like no, this it wasn't service related." So I was like, "Okay, well, I got to do more research on this," Um, and then I started looking into uh, the vaccines and whether or not they would produce what I had got. I ended up finding a study that. Uh, one of the vaccines, I think it was a hep B vaccine would give an autoimmune hemolytic anemia, but they only had that study in actually in dogs, but they had, they didn't have anything in, in humans. So since I kind of recovered from it, semi, I was, I, I still had to get followed by my specialist for like three, four years after that. And then, and, uh, and monitored and stuff. Um, but I'll, I'll say I, since I rather kind of recovered from that, I, uh, I started doing research on it, and then uh, and I couldn't find much, so um, I kind of left it at that. I had a new job, I was moving on. I was like, whatever. I'm like, I wasn't meant to go to go to Afghanistan. I'm like, I'm moving on to better, bigger, and better things. So I had uh, I kind of left it at that and and carried on. It wasn't until years later that uh, I actually had an opportunity to possibly go with the Snowbirds for a flight. And then, and out of that, I had to go do a chest x-ray to make sure I can handle the ejection seats, um, And that's when they noticed there were spots on my lungs. So because of that, I didn't go for the ride. Um, and then I ended up gotten I got re, uh, referred to a respirologist. And uh, he kind of followed along, was like, oh, I think it might be this, it might be that. Who knows? but um, nothing, nothing was coming back. And then uh, one year, I ended up getting three pneumonias back to back. Uh, I lost a bunch of weight and I went back to him and, and then he did a couple more tests and he's like, I think you might have this immune deficiency. Um, and, uh, turns out now, yeah, I got a, what's called common variable immune deficiency. Um, and those spots on my lungs were, uh, you only get it if you have this immune deficiency and, uh, and interesting enough, you only have this immune deficiency it has an association with the autoimmune disease. So out of all of that, I, uh, I ended up recovering from those pneumonias. I, uh, I then went on to uh, to get, I do what's called uh, subcutaneous immunoglobulin replacement therapy. And essentially, um, because my body, I don't make enough uh, antibodies or anything. So when I get sick, I just keep getting reincurring infections now. So I don't make any antibodies and, and live vaccines can kill me. Um, I don't take to other vaccines, um, and uh, and I have to replace those antibodies with other people's blood. So they they find donors, they extract those antibodies, put it in a serum, and I inject myself with it. Um, and I've been doing that since, and it was kind of, that helped me out a lot, gave me my energy back. Um, and I didn't find myself as sick all the time. But the lungs, the spots on my lungs never went away. So we follow that along, and they kept getting bigger and bigger um or my respirologist was like I don't understand this you should be on oxygen but I was like no I'm good like I hiked the Inca trail and I was like run out running their uh, reporters and stuff and I was like yeah I'm good to go But well, my diffusing capacity went down to 55 uh, percent um and uh so they were concerned about that and then I ended up going on an experimental treatment it was like a two years of a uh, type of chemotherapy so I had to do Um, every six months I would go in for a month and I would get pumped through with this chemo, uh, therapy as well as I would have a, be on a chemotherapy, uh, a pill that was like an immune suppressing. And, uh, so I did that for two years. Then my lungs, uh, the spots kind of cleared up. They're good to go. And I've just kind of been watching it and, uh, kind of, uh, going from there.
0: With all of Uh, this, have you found any medical professionals that have been able to back you up and say, yeah, of course this is because you got overvaxxed.
1: Yeah. So I, uh, I went to, so my immunologist at the time and I'll tell you about her in a sec, but, uh, um, I was like, Hey, like I'm convinced that, you know, the immune deficiency is caused by the, you know, you guys giving me all these vaccines. Am I having the autoimmune disease? And I'm like, and she's like, well, there are some studies that suggest that, you know, the autoimmune disease and that can happen post-vaccination, so, but I don't think it's, it's your case. And I was like, okay. Uh, so she gave me that study um, and I actually had to use that study to fight um, the military to get me my medical release, uh, which we can talk about in a hot minute too. But uh, she, uh, she's like, oh no, they, they're like, you're, this is genetics. This is purely genetics and that's it. And I was like, okay. So I ended up getting my genes tested through two different companies. And both companies came back saying that I don't have a gene mutation that would suggest any kind of immune deficiency. Um, and then when I did more research the, on that clinical trial, it was like, or sorry, the, uh, that's that, that clinical uh, study. They, that, that's where I got the information that, yeah, when you can get some, some vaccines can cause you to, uh, to get these autoimmune diseases. Um, and then I read up on a lot more immunology books and stuff like that. And then when you, when you look up what a cytokine storm is, it basically, once your when your body gets overworked, like mine was, um, your, your cells essentially stop talking to each other and they just shut down for protection. Um, and so I was like, Hey, this is, I think this is kind of what happened. Um, and then, uh, I went from there. I used that study. I had to fight, uh, the military to give me for about five years for a medical release they wouldn't they didn't des- they couldn't decide what to do with me um they uh so i guess we may as well go right into how that was how i was treated with that but they um at first denied me any kind of training any any kind of career progression um, and I was like, hey, well, they're like, yeah, you should be medical release. So I went and I went, and then came back and said, no, no, there's no medical release. You're gonna stay. But they left me at a category that left me too restrictive that I couldn't even go anywhere. I couldn't change jobs. I couldn't trial for anything. I couldn't change trades. I couldn't. Even, and you know, the doc at work had told me, she's like, by definition, she's like, you can't even get another contract because of this. So then I had to go back and uh, and fight and put a grievance in. Um, so were you then, regular
0: for us at this time?
1: No, I was still technically reservist my whole time, but I was on uh, class C contracts my whole career. Okay. Got it. Um, so yeah, they wouldn't, uh, so they wouldn't release me. They wouldn't, re- um, take my, my category off because of my condition. Um, so then I put a grievance in and then, uh, out of that grievance, they, uh, they give you the, a timer and they say, yeah, we got four months to give you an answer. So I put it in and I waited and I was on the day of my four months. I'm like, Hey, where's my answer? And they're like, Oh, we reassigned your, your file last month. Timer starts again. I'm like, what do you mean? Um, so I went to my member of parliament, didn't do anything about it. They went to the minister, um, and they didn't do anything about it. Um, and then, uh, and then I went another three weeks and then it was like, yeah, it's, uh, uh, it was reassigned again so ultimately it got reassigned four times and by the time they actually made the decision to release me and every time they re they, they reassigned it they're like timer starts over buddy nothing you can do about it um and, and it wasn't up until that point where my chain of command got involved and when they did they were like yeah they admit they 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 fucked up on your file and like they completely messed it up and he's like but you still got to wait I went to the ombudsman office, told them my story, and they're like, yep, you were mistreated, but we have no authority. We Which ombudsman was
0: work. it at the time?
1: Um, I think it was just the ombudsman of Ontario or or maybe it was whatever the ombudsman was for, for the military. Yeah, the um, veterans yeah. ombudsman
0: has changed a lot. So I'm just wondering if it was Pat Stogren or if you remember the name of the ombudsman.
1: Uh, no, I just had one of their workers who was just like who we, who I was dealing with. Um, I never, I never talked to uh, the actual ombudsman or anything. Okay. Um, I just, whoever, whoever they assigned for the, they, whoever they deal with. but um, yeah, they were like, we have no authority. Like, even though you we mistreated and I was like, well, that doesn't that kind of defeat the entire purpose of the ombudsman's office. But, um, yeah, that was kind of left. And then, I, I finally got my, my release. Um, And then at that point, I was like, well, now i will be out of the military. I may as well start um, putting in all my claims with Veterans Affairs because, you know, typical Army mentality. Nobody wants to put any claims in, Um, which I that's that there's any message I can give to guys is that if you have an injury, document it. Put your claim in right away because Veterans Affairs doesn't pay you back to when the injury happened. They only give it to you when, when they award it to you. And and we all know that they create as many obstacles as they can to not award you anything.
0: <laughs> yes, so, that's a fact. Yeah.
1: Um, so yeah, that was the uh, that was up until that point. Um, and then, uh, um, I guess I would have had my medical release by then. So the. Uh, veterans affairs. I, once I started submitting all my claims, they, they denied a couple, um, through other injuries that I had. Um, and then I ended up going back and fighting them on that. Um, but then I had I'd also resubmitted my, my immune deficiency one. So when I, when I did that, it was obviously denied like everything else. Um, and then I, I resubmitted it and I did the, uh, the appeal and I ended up having to get the lawyers involved. Um, the pension bureau advocate lawyers there. Right. Um, and they uh, they they submitted the appeal and then it went and then it got it uh, right before it uh, it got awarded they went in so I I, I submitted it as my common variable immune deficiency it was appealed as my common variable immune deficiency and then right before they awarded it and acknowledged that it was service related they went back in and changed it to my autoimmune hemolytic anemia and said yep yeah, you're awarded. It was service related, um, favorable with pay, but then on the paper it said no further payouts. I was like, "What the hell?" So I was like, "Oh, maybe I'm going to get a, a payout, and there was a, it would be a one-time thing." And they finally acknowledged it. Um, and then, so that was on Thanksgiving weekend this year. And then uh, the uh, the following week, I get a call from the lawyer, and she's like, "Yeah, you saw the uh, you saw the the decision." I'm like, "Yeah," I'm, I was super excited. Me and my wife were really happy. I'm like, finally, 15 years of fighting this. I don't have to fight it anymore. They finally acknowledge that what they did to me. Um, and then she turned around and said, yeah, no, you're not getting a a a, a cent. She's like, they determined that there's no effect anymore and it, too much time has passed. So um,
0: you're not getting nothing. So they acknowledge that they've injured you. Yeah but aren't going to do anything about it. And do you have it in writing that they said, I yes, have it all. Yes, yeah. we, yes, we injured you, but you're not going to get compensated for it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The, uh, every, one thing the military taught me to do is I caught them all in their, uh, in their lives. Um, and then, uh, just before that happened, actually, I kind of got ahead of myself. I had a uh, back and forth with, uh, the, with veterans affairs. I was like, I'm like, Hey, how do we affect positive change for veterans? And I'm like, cause this is ridiculous. Cause I'm seeing it across the board. Um, and, uh, my case manager said, well, if, if you want to do anything, you have to either write your member of parliament or the minister. And then I had been to my member of parliament several times who did nothing for me.
0: And, so who's, and who's your member of parliament?
1: So that was Pierre Poyleev. Um, and, but I recently moved. So now I got a new uh, member of parliament, but, uh, yeah so he didn't you, do anything. You,
0: so you wrote to Pierre and he did nothing yeah so when i did, did he I even, went to hang Peter, on hang on, did he respond to you even
1: um on the initial so when going back when I had to do my uh um when I did my grievance and it kept getting reassigned, that's when I went to him and then he he went to the um to the minister and said, Hey, like what's going on here um they uh they just uh, they wrote back and said yeah you have too bad you have a timer and you have to wait and I was like well that's not I'm like I did wait I did follow the rules I'm like you guys keep moving the goalposts like what the hell um, and that's kind of where that was at and then the second time I went to Pierre Pardieu, um, he it actually had to do with upon my release which I'll tell you that story about that the um, the military wasn't giving me my common law status with my, my now wife. Um, she was pregnant for our firstborn at the, at the time. Um, and they were like, no, you don't, you didn't provide the right documents and blah, 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 blah. Just kept giving me the runaround. And I was just about to get my release anyway. So, um, I kind of left it at that. I was like, whatever, when, when I release my wife will give birth Only her, my fiance at the time, I should say, she'll give birth. Um, and, uh, and we'll be good to go. So I got released. Two days later, my kid came six weeks early. So when that happened, I called the pensions office. And I was like, hey, are we covered? You know, we're going to have medical bills, all this stuff. And they're like, yeah, you did everything right. You're going to be covered. Don't worry. We just have to process it. Just hold your receipts and we'll get back to you. And you'll be covered. I was like, sweet. So we did that. And then uh, I get my letter from the um, public service um pension or plan or if i forget, with the public service health care plan and uh they're like yeah you're not covered up until three three months after and i'm like well that's not true i'm like the policy says this and i called them out and i highlighted what the policy said um and they're like yeah no you're beat and then so then i went to my member of parliament again and that's when he had sent a letter to the minister back and was like hey what's going on and they were like yeah you're beat and uh you have to wait. And I'm like, well, the policy says this guy. So I'm like, you guys are not following what the, what the rules are. Um, and then after that, Pierre Pauly, have his whole office, everyone, they just ignored me. Um. So they never got back to me again after that, even though I called them and I, and I emailed them and I wanted names and everything and they didn't do nothing. And then uh, the third time I went to him, it was when I wrote my letter when the convoy was going on. And uh, that's when I said, Hey guys, like, Look, this is what you did to me. I'm First Nation. Like these are my rights. Like, and uh, and he never. I, I think it was about an eight-page letter I sent to him, and he didn't even acknowledge it. He didn't. And I I emailed him. I I called. I followed up. Everything wouldn't even acknowledge me. So that's why I didn't go back to him again. So when Veterans Affairs said you got to go to your member of Parliament or the minister, I was like, oh, I'm not going to spend my time going to Pierre Poilievre because he didn't do nothing. Um and uh so I wrote a twelve page letter to the Minister of Veterans Affairs and that was in June so I wrote him and so I asked him this,
0: now this is Minister McCulay
1: yeah and uh and so i I sent them that letter on the Friday, I think it was on the next Wednesday I got a call from my case manager and she's like, yeah, you sent a letter to the minister. I'm like, yeah, you heard I'm like, sweet I'm like she's like, yeah, so when you send letters to the minister, they get' Um, forwarded back to your case manager and I'm like and I told her I was like listen I'm not playing your colonial games I was like I have it in writing Veterans Affairs saying that if I want to affect positive change for veterans I have to go to the minister I wrote a letter to the minister and then the minister turned around and sent me back to the girl that sent me to the minister in the first place and I was like I'm not playing these games I'm like I want answers from the minister Um, and then uh, I had to persistently um, ask back and get on them. I'm like, where are my answers? You know, like I wrote, I wrote this guy a 12 page letter. I want, I want to hear what he has to say. And uh, they kept saying, oh, he's working on a letter. It'll be given to you soon. Well, we're six months later, and I still don't. I still haven't even heard from him. I've tried calling his office. I've tried following up. Nothing. Nobody so, wants so, to give answers because nobody has answers. And instead of taking so out the phone,
0: he, so after all these years, Harvey. Um, yeah. there's still, even though they acknowledge, yeah, we injured you, this is service related, but yeah, uh, too much time has passed. We're not going to, we're not going to compensate you. And, um, and that's still where we're at. And there's been, um, not a, like no support, nothing from back for you No. to this point.
1: Not one the only, the only thing that they did do was a lawyer who said, no, no, no. Now you have to resubmit your applications under your new health issues um, and we'll go from there. So it ties back to, you know, when they finally awarded it, said they went in there and changed it back to the original autoimmune hemolytic anemia and then said, I have to restart my application for the stuff that I started. I did my application for in the first place was appealed as that. And then they went and changed it and said I had to restart. Is that why you follow along
0: there? Yeah, I'm just disappointed. Yeah. um, uh, Because right now, the the, the big issue that I've been involved in, you've probably seen it on the news, is about veterans being offered medical assistance and dying. So assisted suicide by the government. Uh, And I've been a central figure in that whole thing. Well, that's Uh, how I reached out. Yeah. Um, And yet... Pierre, who was quoting me in the House of Commons, <laughs> um, was ignoring you. Yeah. So, the so hypocr- imagine the, the hypocrisy.
1: And that's why I I wrote on my letter um, that, and I put his name in there, and I said, you know, to me as First Nation, I don't I don't care if left or right your political parties. If you're all doing the same thing, you're all treating everyone the same. Um, and you know, for when it comes to Pierre Poitier, at the same time, he was traveling the country telling people how much he cared about Canadians, how much he cared about First Nations. Yet he had a First Nation veteran who lived a block away from his constituent office. And he didn't even have the the courtesy to give me a call and say, hey, even if he called me and said, hey, man, I got no power. I'm not our government's not in power. I can't do much for you. And I would have respected that. But the fact that you couldn't even pick up the phone and and try to get to the bottom of it and make it go public or something, you know, that's, so I lost a lot of respect for that, man.
0: Harvey, I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to put a bow on this one and then you and I will continue talking off air. All right. Sounds good. All right, brother. I, uh, I appreciate you reaching out to me, Harvey. I appreciate you sharing your story and i'm going to share this so i'll be sending this right to the shadow minister of veterans affairs and see Perfect. if we can't bust this loose a little bit okay
1: absolutely i appreciate it and uh, thanks for the uh thanks for giving me the time i've been you're the only one uh, who actually even gave me any time of day uh, i've been trying to get my story out uh, you know when it comes down to to uh like you just said with What's caught the news is this medical assistance uh, and dying is it made me realize that I'm not the only one, you know, uh, they're doing this to everyone. And my biggest thing is that uh, I have an extremely good support network. I have a very big, loving family and I got my wife and kids and all I can think about are the veterans that don't have any of that and if and if any one of them who have PTSD or anything like that and they're left hanging like this and they're given the obstacles it's no wonder that the suicide rate is higher for veterans and and it's just it's really concerning and and it's disgusting actually for a government to treat people like this but uh that's kind of why I reached out to you and I and I hope that it shed some light on the treatment that we're all getting.
0: Well brother I appreciate you sharing your story with me today and I'm going to be sending this and we're about to have a conversation offline, but Perfect. <laughs> st- stay, stay on the line. You're listening to yes, operation sir. Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast. Hello friends. Thank you for tuning in to operation Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast for veterans, first responders and their families. We are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. Please support this mission by subscribing to and rating the show on your favorite podcast channel, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Anchor, or anywhere else. By doing so, you'll help others find the help which just might save their life. Also, please help by sharing a link to the show on all of your social media channels every time a new episode drops. And always remember to recover out loud.